Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazzitti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti program where we talk about financial freedom and economics. Guys, you know, if you're joining me for the first time today, you know, the reason we talk about financial freedom and economics is largely because I don't believe that, you know, the answer through everything is through politics. You see this a lot in today where, oh, if you want to fix this kind of issue, if you want to fix this issue, there's all these problems in our economy. If you want to fix them, you just got to go and you just got to vote for the right politician, the right political party. And look, I just, I don't believe that that's true. I think that voting is nothing more than a mere illusion of control. But in reality, it's just to pacify the popul the populace. It's just to pacify the people. And you don't really have, it doesn't really do anything. Nothing changes. No one, it just keeps people arguing amongst themselves while the ruling class gets to do whatever they want to our freedoms, to our money, things of that nature. And that's what I believe. So I feel like the answer to a lot of that stuff is largely becoming financially free by taking control of the source of our income. Look, there's a lot of problems that exist in our world today. And one of the best ways to insulate ourselves from those risks and is insulate ourselves from all the issues that could come down the line is to control the source of our income, control where our money is coming from. There's a whole massive amount of ways that we could do that, whether that's through trading, investing, whether that's actually starting our own companies. There's tons of different ways that we can do it. We just have to be in control of how we're making our money. So you don't necessarily have to be a business owner, although financial freedom usually is about owning your own business. And I would classify just about anything that you can do to control the source of your income as being, you know, owning your own business in that way. You know, I would classify as anything that you can do as owning your own business. But that said, though, you know, you know, most people think about buying, you know, selling a product or service to a customer and doing customer service. And that's usually what people think about when it comes to owning and controlling your own business. But in reality, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You know, you can inv if you've made a lot of money, you can invest in bonds, you can invest in stocks, you can invest in all kinds of, you know, real estate investing. You know, well, with regards to real estate investing, unless you're flipping, you're going to be having to deal with some people. You could hire a property management firm and you kind of just sit back and you collect the rental income if you're doing rental properties and stuff of that nature. Uh, so I guess you don't necessarily have to have direct contact with the, with your, your tenants, so your quote-unquote customers. Um but you do have to have a bit more human interaction in that sense. When you're doing like investing with with regards to stocks for dividends or bonds with interest rates and stuff like that, when you're doing that kind of stuff, it's a little different, right? You don't, yes, you're buying and selling things, but you're really doing it through the faceless broker, okay? And you're not really seeing anybody else. You don't have to do a customer service. I would still classify them as businesses. I think they should be treated as business regardless of whatever option you choose. That said though, there's a lot of ways that we can become financially free and control the sources of our income. But the other part of the show is economics. And why? Because ladies and gentlemen, in order to understand the risks that are really coming down our line, uh, uh, down the line and that are going to affect our lives, 
the only way to really do that is to ultimately wear the right glasses to see, to have glasses to see them. The only way to do it is to have the proper framework so that you can identify the, the issues and you can understand what the issues really mean for you and your family and your finances, right? You know, you need to understand the stuff. The reason that most people don't plan for this stuff is because most people don't understand it. And economics gives us the ability to do that. It gives us the ability to see things down the line and see and be able to predict what's really going to happen down the line. And that's one of the benefits of economics. Now, economics is very poor about timing, about when things are going to happen, but it's very good about seeing things that are coming in the fr- that, are, that are coming in the future and ultimately that, that gives us the ability to plan ahead of time and to be ready for that type of stuff. And you know that's really why we focus on on economics. But anyways, that said, if you're in, you know if you're just joining me, welcome. You know, if you guys haven't already, I encourage you to take the 10 episode challenge. You know, I always do this for the the newcomers of the show and we're still a very very young show. The show is still very much in its infancy and you know, what the 10 episode challenge is is I'm just asking you to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes of the show because we don't talk about things in a vacuum. I'm going to be referencing stuff in the back there that that I've already done that I'm not really going to want to really going to go in huge in-depth explanations and if you really want a big explanation, you need to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes so you know what we're talking talking about. On top of that, you know, there's a lot of value back there. You know, I'm not trying to be arrogant when I say this, but I personally believe that there's a lot of value in those episodes, and I think that you'd be kind of missing out if you don't. So that said, what are we going to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen? We are going to talk about inflation, all right? It's a topic, it's a buzzword, everyone's talking about it, you know, everyone talks about it all the time, oh, inflation is eating away at your savings, you know, you need to be invested, inflation's eating away at, you know, any kind of cash that you're holding, you know, you can't live a life, you know, that you were once able to live because everything's so much more expensive, and yada, 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 yada right? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude when I say that, but, you know, or anyways, the point is we hear about this constantly. People drone on and on and on about it. What is inflation really? Has it ever really been explained to you? You know, you, you probably, if you're coming from college, you probably heard it explained as it's a general increase in prices. In fact, if you go and you research and you actually look up the definitions, some dictionaries will actually tell you, or I think most dictionaries will tell you to this day, that it's a general increase in prices. But is that really the case? Is it really a general increase in prices? The answer is a, a no. No, it's not. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that inflation is not an increase in general prices, a rise in general prices. Inflation is an increase in the monetary supply. Put another way that sounds a lot less nerdy, it's an increase in the amount of money that's out there in the economy that people have to spend, to invest, so on and so forth. That's what inflation really is. And a long time ago, we used to understand this very well. If you had looked up the terminology of inflation in dictionaries, that's what the dictionary would have told you. And in reality, just not very many dictionaries actually will tell you. Now, if you go to merriam-webster.com and you actually search the term inflation, what it will say is the second definition it gives you is a continuing rise in the general price level, usually attributed to an increase in the volume of money and credit relative to available goods and service. Now, that's not a terrible definition, if I'm honest. That's a decent definition, okay? But that's not what 
people understand inflation to be, right? Because it tells you it's usually attributed to. It's kind of loosely saying that it's usually attributed to the increase in money or credit. No, it is the increase in money and credit. You see, even Merriam-Webster gets it wrong. You said it says that it's an expansion. It's basically a general rise in prices usually attributed to this. Now, while they mention that it's usually attributed to this, the, the way they're wording it makes it sound as if it's a rise in prices. And oh, by the way, sometimes it can be caused by increasing the supply of money. That's not true. That is a lie or a misunderstanding of what it really is. You see, inflation is the increase in the supply of money, the monetary supply. That's what inflation really is. Inflation is not an increase in prices generally across the board, right? That's not what inflation is. Because if that was what inflation really was, then you could say that the business, big greedy businesses are buying up all this real estate. Rich people are buying real estate. Big greedy businesses are causing inflation. You see, you can blame it on other people. Or you could say, oh, well, you know, because of the hurricane that was hitting Houston, you know, a couple years ago, you know, well, and because of the flooding and all the, you know, water bottles were skyrocketing in value. Some people came down to this, to Houston and started selling water and generators at, at exorbitant high prices and this is this is price gouging this is inflationary you know whatever that's what stuff that's what people say right but it's not inflation when the prices rise particularly because there's a lack of supply it's not inflation not really no that is just a, a temporary increase in prices because a massive increase in demand a, a, a unusual spike in demand right? It's not normal. And a really not a spike in the supply. You know, you, you, they didn't ratchet up supply. They didn't ratchet up production. They didn't expect it. No one anticipated it. These kind of price increases are literally just supply and demand interacting with each other. And I guess you could say that that's what inflation is because you're increasing the amount of supply of money, right? And you're not really increasing the amount of supply of goods and services that people are buying. So there's a lot more money going for a lot less goods or the same amount of goods. And as a result of that, the, the goods become more expensive, and as we increase the amount of money that we have going for all the same amount of goods, the money becomes less valuable, right? So that is a function of supply and demand as well. However, an increase in prices is not what inflation is. Otherwise, you could say price gouging is technically inflation, and it's not. What is, does the term inflation mean? Inflation means to expand, you can't expand prices. Prices rise and they fall. But they do not expand and contract. The expansion, the contraction of something is largely, you know, something that's being referenced with regards to a supply of something or maybe the size of something like a balloon, right? You're expanding the air. You're increasing the amount of air that's inside the balloon. So the size of the balloon is expanding and contraction, expanding and contracting. That's what expansion contraction is. You do not expand and contract prices. Okay, no, the, you don't expand and contract them. If you were to expand and contract prices, you're expanding, you're increasing the amount of prices there are for different products. You're increasing the amount of products. You can expand the supply of products or services, which would increase the and expand the amount of prices because there's more products, therefore there's more prices, right, going for each product. 
you know, if you think about it on a, in terms of a grocery store, because this is a very relatable way of thinking about it, think about a big bookshelf. Or think about, not a bookshelf, think about the shelves in a grocery store, right? Imagine there's only one, maybe three items, say three items, okay? Well, if you wanted to expand prices, you would increase the number of products. So instead of there being three, now there's five. Now there's five different prices that you could choose from. Instead of, then you expand it again. Instead of there are five, let's say there's 20 items, okay? Made a big leap there. 5 to 20. So now you have 20 items on the shelf. Now there's 20 different prices for each item. Gives you a lot of choices. We all love it. We can pick and choose based off of our incentives, based off of our values, based off of, you know, how much money we have, whether we value health or not, or whether we value price over more than anything else, whatever. We all love it, but that would be an expansion of prices, increasing the number of products and the prices that go to them. This is far more than just a semantics argument, semantics being about wording, just how we're talking. It's far more than just that. It's about understanding why we call things the way that we do, the terminology. Why does the terminology exist? Inflation is not the, the, the increase in the supply in the in general increase in prices because you that is a rise and fall of prices, right? That's rising prices. That's not an expansion of prices, as I said before. An expansion of prices is an expansion of products, okay? That's one way that you could think of it. Really, what inflation is, it's an expansion in the amount of money that exists in an economy. And the expansion of that money, the supply of that money, as it continues to expand, whatever we have more of, it becomes less and less valuable. Again, if you go back to the laws of diminishing marginal utility, that explains why this this happens, okay? The laws of diminishing marginal utility when it comes to modern, um, you know, economics today, they say that as you consume one thing, the more and more you consume, the less and less, you know, valuable it becomes, the less and less you desire it. Well, I could tell you right away that's a load of BS because I have the same order at almost every single restaurant that I like to get and I only ever like to get that. I'm a creature of habit, if nothing else, and I never get bored of the meals that I get at every restaurant. Sometimes I switch it up, but very, very rarely do I ever switch it up, okay? If I switch it up, it's usually because what I'm getting is unhealthy and I need to eat healthier so to try to, you know, lose weight, right? It's usually some kind of need that makes it, but not because I desire it less, I love getting the same freaking meal over and over and over again at those different restaurants. Every single restaurant is like this for me. Unless it's a restaurant I just don't go very often and then I'm kind of hunting around for the meal. I guess in some ways you could say I'm I'm kind of a little bit like Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory. You know, he gets the same meal every single time, no exceptions. A little bit like that. I'm not nearly as anal as that, but I'm not, not nearly as nitpicky, but a little bit, yeah. I mean, I have a meal... A meal or two that I like at a restaurant, and that's pretty much the only meals that I ever get, and I love them. I crave them, and yet I, I eat them all the time. So clearly, if the law of diminishing marginal utility, from the popular mass-adopted modern economic standpoint, if that was really true, then theoretically speaking, but if I got the same meal at Olive Garden over and over and over again, eventually I wouldn't want to eat it anymore because I just wouldn't like it. Now, if I was eating it every day, yeah, that probably would be the case, but we're not, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about, it it doesn't really specify 
the time frame in which you're consuming the items. But that is the wrong way of thinking about it because it's looking at it from a consumption point of view. And in reality, that's not really what diminishing marginal utility really is. Okay, diminishing marginal utility, really from the Austrian perspective, is where the when you have an increase of supply of any one thing, it starts to become less valuable to you. But it's all based off of a hierarchical scale of things that you value and things that you don't. Okay, so now the example that you, they always give is basically an apple and, and how you can use the amount of apples that you have to feed your family or and there's different ways that you can feed your family. I, I don't know that I, I don't necessarily prefer that method. Basically, look, this is I'm going to just boil it down very simplistically. Okay, let's refer to it as money. All right. When you the more when you have a limited amount of money. You have a list of things that you want to use that money for. And the more limited your money is, so the less you have, you only apply it to the things that are, are the most important, right? The most, uh, that are most needed, I guess you should say, the most needed. So you're going to apply it to your bills, your car insurance, your electric bill, your mortgage, your rent, your, you know, your car loan, gas, food, that's what you are going to apply for. And there's a, a list of hierarchy in terms of which one of those we value more than the other, right? And as we increase the amount of money, let's say we get a promotion and, and we're now making a lot more money than we were before. Well, now that the amount of money that we have increases, we start applying it to the things that are at the top of our list. Before we were applying it to the things that were the bottom of our list. Now this list is of desires and needs, right? The things that are on the bottom are the things that we need. You could arguably say they are the most important things that we have to have, but not necessarily the things that we desire. The things that we desire are at the top, but they're not really the things that we need the most. You know, we don't really spend stuff on the things that we desire as much if we don't have a lot of money. It, it be, why? Because they're less important. So the things that are the most important are on the bottom of the list, right? These things are the most important. And the things that are on the top of the list, we may desire more. It's at the top of our list, but they're not very important. So as we increase the supply of money, you know, we start to apply that to the le the least important things. We start to apply it to things that are that are not as important to us, but we we, we desire them a bit more. So, for example, if you got it, let's say you became a chief executive officer of a company. So you are a CEO now. You're making well over six figures. You've got stock options as bonuses. Man, you are living the life, right? In reality, guys, the CEO is probably one of the hardest working people in the company. They work incredibly hard. They literally have very little in the way of a social life. Sure, they have nice cars and nice houses and, and they get to enjoy life for sure in those in those ways. But let's be completely honest with you. They work like dogs. If something goes bad in the company, the investors, guess who they're going to point to? You. They are the public face of the company. They work endlessly. A lot of CEOs that I see don't have a lot in the way of a family life. They don't have a lot in the way of what I would classify as a life at all. They work more than they get to relax and enjoy life. Now, this isn't the case for every CEO, but this is the case for a lot of them. So a lot of people think that the CEO, they get to live in their big their big tower and life is just amazing and I just want to be a CEO. Yeah, it's misery. 
I would never want to be a CEO ever. It's misery. You can achieve that kind of money and you don't need to be that kind of a workhorse. Okay. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you control the source of your income, there is no limit to how much money you can make. All right. Just keep that in mind. But that said though, you know, law of diminishing margin utility. So if you get you know, back to that, if you, if you become a CEO and you were not previously a CEO, your amount of money that you have access to now really goes up. So what do you want to spend your money on? Well, a lot of people want to spend their money on big houses, sexy cars, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, a McMansion, right? They want to maybe a yacht, you know, these are, you want to live the life, right? This is the life that we're always told that we need to live. It's not always for everyone, but some people do genuinely like having those items, right? Some people literally just want a cabin out in the middle of nowhere and they just want like hundreds and hundreds of acres of land, if not thousands of acres of land, they just want to be left alone. They could drive a very modest looking car. But the fact remains is that we start wanting nicer things, nicer things that are higher up on our list in terms of our desires, but not necessarily that are the most important to us. Okay. They're not the most, we start applying, as our amount of money increases, we start applying it to the least important things. Is it really important that you own that Ferrari? No. Is it really important that you own the McMansion? (laughs) No. Okay. Is it really important that you own uh, a thousand acres of land? Unless you intend to be a farmer or something or some, or maybe a a rancher or a tree farm, whatever. No. Most people do, do not need that kind of land. So the fact remains is that as you increase the supply of, of anything, I'm, I'm using the term, I'm using money as an example because I think it's more relatable and I'm really trying not to be very, um, confusing. So I do apologize if I am being confusing. Uh, I, that's not my intention. I'm trying to do this in a way that uh, at least it's easy for me to understand. I am hoping that it's how you're, you're going to get it too. But if, if it was really confusing, please message me. You know, go ahead and contact me. Go to newmillenniumwealth.com. If you go down in the show notes page, you'll see my website. If you go there, it'll take you to a homepage and it'll say sign up for my newsletter. Just click that sign up button and it'll send you to a contact page. Give me your name, your email, and you know, leave me a little short message there and let me know if this was really complicated or not or let me know if this was a good lesson. If you, if you got this and whatnot, I'm, I, I'm, I need to refine explaining the law of diminishing marginal utility. It, it it sounds complicated. It's really not the more you dive into it, but this is really kind of my first time really teaching it because I had a hard time understanding it and I'm trying to explain it in the way that I was able to understand it. All right. You know, so I'm trying to do my best here. You know, I don't, I haven't really talked about it a whole lot before, but you know, let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if it's, it's overly complicated and I need to improve it a little bit more. But anyways, back to the subject I had at hand, back to diminishing marginal utility. The more you have of a supply, the less important it is, right, to you. Now you start spending it on things that are less important in your life. The less you have of it, the more important it is. You start spending it on only the important things, only the things that have to be used. It, you, you, you have to use it for, right? Shelter, food, clothing, water, that you spend it on things that are a must, and all the things like really fancy stuff that while we say that in ourselves, oh yeah, that's really important to me, really in reality it's not. That's just icing on the cake. And when you don't have a lot of money, you don't care about whether you're driving to work in a Ferrari or whether you're dry or whether you get to come home to a big 
freaking house or whether you get to go on your yacht. You don't worry about that. You worry about whether you have a job, right? You worry about whether you have income at all. You worry about money and food and shelter and water. You worry about that kind of stuff. So as the amount of money that we have increases, it starts to go for less important things, but things that might be desirable on our list. And and, and, and in all honesty, some of the things on the list might be even more desirable. We may desire these things at the top, even though they're less important, we may desire them more than we desire the things that we absolutely have to have and are the most important at the bottom. And that's what diminishing marginal utility is. It is a relationship between the supply of an item and how it's applied to a hierarchical list of things that are important and desirable in our life. So that's what diminishing marginal utility is. That's what explains inflation, ladies and gentlemen. Inflation is the increase in the monetary supply. And the more money you have, the less important it becomes to you. And again, this can be applied to anything, whether you want to apply it to diamonds, water, apples, houses, cars, grass, I don't know, I mean, air, whatever you want to apply it to, that's what it's applied to. You can apply this to like diamonds and water, okay? Water is clearly more valuable than diamonds. I mean, it's more important than diamonds, but because there's so much of it, it's less valuable to us. Diamonds are more desirable than water, you know, aesthetically, they're cool, they're pretty, that whatever, they're, they're, they're expensive, it's a status symbol, but diamonds aren't uh, as plentiful as water is, not as easy to get at as water, so it's more valuable in the sense of the price, yet water is less valuable, it's cheaper, okay, it's more valuable in terms of the importance of it, but in terms of the cost that you're going to pay, it's it's cheaper. It's cheaper than getting a nice diamond. All right? So with that said, it this law of diminishing marginal utility explains a lot of different things. And it explains inflation as well. But back to inflation real quick. It's important to keep in mind that a general increase in prices is not inflation like I just said. Prices do not inflate or expand. They merely rise and fall. And also, just to keep in mind that just because prices rise for a certain product or service does not mean that inflation has occurred. This is merely a result in change in the demand slash preferences of consumers, okay? Now, that was a little bit that I actually wrote down on, uh, you know, kind of my, my notes of what to go over. So I wanted to read that just to kind of go, you know, to, just to cover that. But guys, and, and that was really just more of stuff that I, I've said already, and I probably should have said that before I went into it. But look. That's what inflation is. Inflation is an increase in the monetary supply. Now, it has three parts. Once you print the money, once you create it out of thin air, which is what the government does, which is what the Federal Reserve does, you have to circulate it for it to be effective. If you just stuff it under your mattress, it ain't going to do anything, right? You got to get out there. You got to circulate it into the economy. So once you create it, you have to inject it. You got to give it to people who are going to spend it. You have to circulate it. And then once it's circulating, then it can cause prices to rise. Now, a lot of people, particularly from the Chicago School of Economics, believe that velocity of money, the speed in which it changes hands, is an aspect that causes the prices to rise. No, that, that is false. That's not true. It's not true at all. 
That's just, again, that's a symptom. Pri- the, the, that's a symptom of the increase in the monetary supply. That's a symptom in the increase in the amount of money that exists in the economy. Okay? That is merely a symptom of inflation. It is not inflation. Again, so you create, a, you increase the supply of money, you circulate it, and then in some sectors of the economy, maybe there's buying sprees. There's massive bidding wars on houses or people are buying up water bottles like crazy. You know, the velocity of money increases, which and in reality, the velocity of money is merely a symptom of the increase in the supply of money. So again, velocity of money does not cause a general increase in prices. A general increase in prices is not inflation. The increase in the supply of money that exists in the economy that or, or outside of the economy that's about to be circulated, that is what inflation is. And it cause it can cause prices to increase. It can cause prices to change hands quickly. Though but those are merely symptoms of the overlying disease. The disease is an increase in the monetary supply. That's what inflation really is. All right. So having said that, you know, real quick, does when inflation has occurred, when they do increase the supply of money and you're starting to see prices rise around you, do prices rise around you equally across the entire economy and equally everywhere in the entire country? No. No, that's not going to be the case. Obviously, more money has been has been injected and circulated into California than into Texas. You just you can you can easily figure that out simply by looking at the real estate values. There are lots of other things that are causing increases in the prices and it's not inflationary, right? It's not an increase in the supply of money such as regulation that only allows them to build more expensive housing, you know, environmental regulations that prevent them from, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, maybe uh, increasing the amount of land that you can use for developmental purposes. There's a whole host of regulations and regulatory burden that's out there that also contributes to the increase in, in, um, in prices and it's also highly desirable and there's a a lot less land available. So that does c- contribute to it as well. It's not just an increase in the supply of money, but an increase in the supply of money is happening. California is one of the biggest states in terms of receiving the most federal money from from, from taxes and pro- money printing. California is one of the states that receives the most. I don't know if they're the top, but I know that they're one of the highest up there. So anyways, guys, look, it doesn't increase equally everywhere in the economy. It doesn't increase equally in all the different areas of the economy. If you want an example, look at TVs, TVs and monitors. They constantly are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, or at least they have in the past. Instead, because of the technological increases and because of the, the how quickly people can actually make them and how cheaply they make them and the mass quantities, you know, because of all that technological innovation, they actually got cheaper. Despite the fact that real estate kept going up, stocks kept going up. So it, it, it no, the amount when you print money and you circulate it, it's not going to be applied evenly across the board. That's just not going to happen. But anyways, guys, that's going to be it for the end of, uh, for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to like and subscribe wherever you're at. And if you really liked it, please share the show. Uh, you know, we're trying to grow this this podcast and trying to grow and get as many people as we can listen to this message of financial freedom and economics to as many people as we can get, right? 
And so if you like it, please consider sharing it with people you love. I mean, hey, look, odds are if you like it, someone else is going to like it. So please consider sharing. Hit that share button on any of the social media platforms. Like it wherever you're at and follow and subscribe wherever you're at. If you want to find me, you know, I've got all the links in the show notes below where I'm at, you know, locals.com, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I also got one there for Parler as well, trying to change the uh, the messaging that's on Parler, trying to... Uh, Put some a bit of a more, you know, my spin of topics of with regards to economics and financial freedom on there as well. And hey, if, if you're interested in that, go to Parler. They 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 promote freedom of speech. They're not going to ban you for what you're saying. So, but we need more people with this kind of messaging on there. So if you guys are interested, go check that out. Also, you know, if you guys love what I'm doing, please give me a rating and review on iTunes. Yo, guys, look, this show survives because of you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't be for you if it wasn't for you guys listening to it every week. I love you guys very much and I need your help to help grow the show and I need you guys to uh, do some things for me and you know sharing is one of the things you know but also you know leaving me a rating review is incredibly important it helps me get my show on the map. If I don't have reviews then I don't get put on the lists on iTunes and all that kind of stuff. So you know it really helps the show out. So please consider going and leave me a positive rating about the show if you if you really, really liked it and you're getting value out of it. Please consider doing that. And also, hey, if you are in, if you again, if you like what I'm doing here, please consider giving a donation to the show. Help me grow this message of financial freedom to as many people as we can get to listen. Guys, this message I think will change the world. I know it has it's genuinely it has changed my life. And I, I believe it will change other people's lives as well. So if you love that message, if you like it a lot, then please consider giving a donation and helping me come in here every single week and producing the show. And uh, yeah, the, hey, the more the more money the show makes, effectively, the, the more often I'll be able to do it as well. We might be able to increase it to three times a week and stuff like that. But, you know, so if you guys love what I'm doing here, then please consider giving me a donation and donating the show and helping me grow this message of financial freedom and to continue coming in and uh, giving you guys high quality content that you guys love to listen to all the time. So that being said, guys, I love you each and every one of you. I want you guys to have a great day today. And, uh, you know, we're not even going to bother doing affiliate links because, um, you know, I think I overdo them a lot. So <laughs> if you guys want to, I'll post some affiliate links in the description below. So if you guys are interested in the goes, go check them out, go click on, see what you think. And if they're, if you're interested in them, you want to take part in them, consider doing so. It does, it does help the show grow and it certainly does help provide me the ability to do this full time. So if you guys are interested in any of that, please go do all those things. And if you guys will do all that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly and have a great day.